Some of you know that in my office at school at Norco High, um, I have a saying. It says, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. I cannot tell you the number of young people that I've been able to share the gospel with, uh, with because of that. Uh, they come in and all the time, and then I can hear them saying it under their breath, born once, die twice. You know, and as I'm writing out a receipt for their, their, uh, their wood because I teach woodshop, and, um, and another person's, and they, then I can hear them saying to someone else, what does that mean? They won't even ask me. I'm sitting right there. Uh, and so one kid says, I know what that means. I said, what does it mean? Well, that means you, you've got to get saved. And so I said, well, yes, it's, it's in the Bible. And then I give them a real quick 10 or 15 second uh, gospel. And, and then I just continue on what I'm doing as if it's, you know, just regular day kind of a conversation. Um, the Lord has allowed me to, well, I do this. I, I probably will get fired for it. But um, every, every day I have a verse on my, it's no longer a chalkboard, by the way. It's called a whiteboard. Chalkboards are gone. Um, but it's a whiteboard, and on the top, I always have a verse. And um, it's most of them are from the Proverbs, like uh, the wicked flee when no man pursues, or uh, you know these kinds of things that are really hopefully that the kids will catch on. Um, and then right at the end, I always put the reference, and, it, and I, after that I put uh, ancient Jewish monarch, you know, for Solomon, ancient Jewish uh, monarch. And... Uh, and then sometimes I put, uh, like I did the other one was, um, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I had kids in my fifth period class, and when they first come into class, they're sitting there, and they're all looking at this thing, and they're going, what in the world does that mean? You know? And again, I cannot, inst- I cannot initiate conversation, but once they ask me, I can answer. And so they did. They said, Mr. Dixon, what does that say? What does that mean? I said, well, let me tell you what it means. And I gave the gospel right there in front of the whole class. Um, like I said, I'll probably get fired for it, but um, I put in 30 years, and the Lord's been good. Um, number two, <clears throat> number one was I'm not a Christian because my parents were Christians. The second reason why I'm not a Christian is that I'm not a Christian because I claim to be a Christian. And there's a lot of people that do that. A lot of people have in their mind that they are a Christian. They just simply say, I am a Christian. But just claiming that you're a Christian does not make you a Christian. I mean, we could all say together, uh, I am the governor of California, or I am the president of the United States. That does not make you the governor of California or the president of the United States. So claiming to be a Christian does not make you a Christian. You could say, well, well, okay, <clears throat> I go to church. Well, that's, that's great, you know. I've gone to Claremont since 1954, okay? I've been going here for all these years. That didn't make me a Christian. Now, I thank the Lord for this assembly. This assembly has nurtured me spiritually, uh, all kinds of things that I've benefited from this church, but it didn't save me. And if you are depending on your name on a particular membership role at whatever church, uh, brand X, whatever, that is not going to save you. The only way, the only place where your name is needs to be is in the book of life. And if it's in the book of life, then you're going to heaven. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 21. We'll go over that in just a little bit. 
Some people say, well, I'm a Christian because, <clears throat> and, and they, and they speak Christian ease, you know. They, all the, the terminology. Uh, there is, uh, years ago, when, uh, we had the street fair and we were in the park over here, uh, there was a guy that came and, uh, when, when he walked up to her, I didn't know if he had a cat on his head, a cat on his head, or was it a hairpiece? I, I'm not sure. I think it was a hairpiece. But, um, it looked like a cat. Anyway, uh, he came to us and he started talking and he spoke perfect Christianese. Oh, I was, you know, I used to be a Baptist. And, uh, uh, this sort of thing. And he goes and launches in and how he quote unquote got saved. I mean, I'm listening to this and I thought, wow. And then he says, you know what? I, I, find, I saw the light, and now I'm a Mormon. And uh, I said, really? And so, and he, boy, he would like love to debate. I think Wade talked to him and some others. I mean, this guy went on and on. And so every year, he always swings by the street fair. I could see him coming, or, I, no. Anyway, I can see him coming, um, coming up the street, you know, and he always wants to say, but I, I really don't want to talk to him, and I don't want any of our other people talking to him because... He is what the Bible refers to as an apostate, one that used to talk and profess to be a Christian, but now has completely turned away from the cross. That's what an apostate is, and that's what this man is. In fact, he came to our parking, he came to our church uh, Sunday night, and I went out there and I said, "You know what? You're you're really not welcome in here because I know what your your uh, agenda is." And I said, "We don't we don't really need you here." Because uh, I shared the gospel with him, and it, it went in one year, got lonely, went out the other year, so uh, he left. Now, do we have an example of an apostate or a person that speaks Christianese in the Bible? Yes, we do. Who? Judas, right. Judas Iscariot. And we read about that in the Lord Jesus says in Mark chapter 14, verse 21, it was better that for that man if he had never been born. He walked with the Lord. He talked with the Lord. He performed miracles. He did all these things. And yet at the end, we discover that he was not a Christian. He spoke Christianese. Everybody, let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. And when I talk to young people and refer to this particular passage, and I've done it here too, this, in my, in my opinion, is the is the scariest verses in all of the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, and let's take a look at verse 21. Matthew seven twenty-one says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here are people that were completely convinced that God had made a mistake, that they really were Christians, and there's, why are we in this place of torment? Why? And when they're brought before that great white throne, they said, Lord, we've, <laughs> they addressed him in the right way. They said, Lord, have we done, prophesied in thy name? They spoke the right things. And in thy name have done uh, many miracles, cast out devils. 
But he said, I never knew you. Now, many, many years ago, one of my favorite gospel preachers was Bill Morgan. I don't know about you if you heard had the privilege of hearing Bill Morgan, but that man really could present the gospel. And he pointed this out, and it really stuck with me. Let's turn not only with this, let's turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This parallels Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 24. John chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus says here, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so... The Lord says unequivocally that a people who have accepted Christ as their Savior at that very moment, I know them in that special way. And there will be never an opportunity or a situation in the future where I can ever say, I never knew you. Amen. Right? This is so precious. This is so important that once Christ knows you. He could never say in the future, I never knew you. The question is, does he know you? That's the important thing. And this morning, you might have grown up in our Sunday school. You might have heard gospel messages enough to save all of China. But unless you've been born again, unless God knows you, you're lost and you're on the way to a lost eternity. So let's take a look. Okay, number one. Number one reason why I'm not a Christian. My parents are Christians. That's not why I'm a Christian. Number two, I'm not a Christian because I claim to be a Christian. Number three, I'm not a Christian because I got baptized. All right? Now, when I have conversations with students at Norco, and they, you know, I tell them day one, when I first get them in, in September, I tell them right off the bat that I'm a Christian and that I go to Claremont Bible Chapel and that sort of thing. I tell them about me. And I get kids that come up to me, oh, Mr. Dixon, I'm a Christian too. And I don't say, oh, that's great. I say, well, that's, that's important. How did you become a Christian? And that will tell me if they are a Christian or not. And one person went on and on and on. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian family, and I got baptized and this sort of thing. And uh, then they said, that's it. And I said, well, that's interesting, but how did you become a Christian? And they went, wait a minute. I, I just told I said, no, 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 no. Just because you go to church and just because you're baptized doesn't make you a Christian. And they just, they're shocked. Well, wait a minute. Aren't I a Christian? No. The Bible is very clear on this. Let's take a look at... Um, well, John chapter 4, verse 2. And this is interesting about the Lord Jesus. If baptism, and of course this is a subject all that would take up uh, several weeks, but if you take a look at John chapter 4 and verse 2, we find out something very interesting. We'll start at verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus 
made and baptized more disciples than John, verse 2, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. So Jesus himself didn't baptize anybody. And that's important. And then we find out that Paul, in, let's take a look, let's flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this, these are important verses. If you don't have these outlined, please outline them in your Bible. I encourage the high school group, when we're going through this stuff, to outline these verses so that you can refer to them. That Jesus didn't baptize anybody, John 4, 2. And, I, and also, the one that I have underlined or have marked is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. And this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Well, right then, that lets you know that the gospel doesn't include baptism. It doesn't. So the people that believe that you have to be baptized in order to be saved, and I have relatives that believe that, that is exactly the, the problem that they found in Galatia, uh, in the, the church of Galatia and all over the place, that they're at, you've got the gospel. Believing in Jesus, yeah, that's, that's fine, yeah, and that sort of thing. But you also have to be circumcised. You have to obey the Ten Commandments. You've got to follow the law. You've got to be baptized. No. It's simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from baptism. And so <clears throat> let's turn as an example to that, to Acts chapter 8. And I like to point this out, and, and again, I've had some really great conversations with some of my students on this subject. One student um, got his pastor to correspond with me just volumes of letters uh, on why baptism is an essential for salvation. And I just simply pointed out a couple of verses and then he never corresponded back, which was okay. Um, Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. Let's read this. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Now, here's the important part coming up. But when they believed, Philip preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the, na and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized... He continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Looks to me like this guy was saved. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. 
Now, you've got to understand the setting here. This is a transition period, okay? The Bible is very clear in the epistles that when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are immediately sealed with the Holy Spirit. We read about that in Acts, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Anybody that has not the Spirit of Christ is none of his. So now it's instantaneous, but this was a transition period. And then we can see verse 16, for as yet he was not fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. He wanted to have a little bit more uh, in his repertoire of magic tricks, so to speak. That was his idea. That's what he thought it was. But Peter said unto him, now watch this, in verse 20, Thy money perish with thee. Well, Christians don't perish. And he said, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money, thou neither hast part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent. Well, that's what a Christian needs to do, or a person to become a Christian. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, and perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And so we see here that Simon was he believed and he was baptized. But that didn't save him. His heart was still not right with God. And so that's number three. Number four. <clears throat> number four. The reason why I'm not a Christian is because I've done good works. Now, again, we start off with, my, I'm not a Christian because my parents are Christians. I'm not a Christian because I claim to be a Christian. Number three, I'm not a Christian because I got baptized, and I got baptized right here when I was about 13 years old. I don't know if, Gary, if you got baptized with me, I don't know. I know we, a bunch of us got together, Larry Gibson and all these guys. And um, it was, we really, I, I'm not sure, I know for myself, I wasn't really fully in understanding of what it was all about. But to me, I just thought that was what needed to do, and we got baptized. But that didn't save me. And the fourth thing is to do good deeds. Now, when, when you talk to a person that believes that you have to do good deeds in order to be saved, the thing that you might want to ask them is that what kind of good deeds do you need to do? And number two, how many good deeds do you need to do in order to be saved? In other words, go to heaven. And I can guarantee you not one person can say to you, well, you've got to do this, this much and then you're in. Basically, what they're saying is that, well, I don't know. I just, you know, I just, you know, the Lord will kind of put this on a balance, you know. And if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm in. Well, two questions you could ask them. Number one, what happens if it's even? If it's perfectly even, do you go in? And, uh, you know, and then they say, well, it's, it's very interesting because in Titus, let's take a look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Again, this is a really, really excellent verse. 
that uh, that you need to point out. Titus three five <clears throat> says, "Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us." There we go. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Holy Ghost. So it's not anything that I've done. It's what he's done. And then if you turn back to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And I can remember the evening that I sat down with the up when we were living in Big Bear, and uh, we were in the process of having uh, our last, the, the last house that we lived in up there uh, designed. Um, the the um, architect and the contractor was named Eddie Etter, and a uh, really nice young guy. And we got talking and found out that he was of a particular church that believed that you had to do good works in order to be saved. And so I was talking to him. I said, Eddie, have you ever seen Romans chapter 4 and verse 4? And we looked it up. And I said, notice what it says here. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Verse 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And he stared at that like it was something he had never seen before and probably hadn't. He couldn't believe it. He, he'd been brought up thinking that doing good works was what he was supposed to do in order to earn salvation. And here it says, you don't work. You can't work. It's by faith. And then your faith is counted for righteousness. And so we, we find out <clears throat> that some people <clears throat> not only believe that do good works, but certain type of works. I think, well, you have to follow the, ten, uh, the commandments in the Bible. I mean, all 618 in the Old Testament. I was talking to a, <clears throat> a young man one time when I was in training with the RTD. And again, some of you have heard this story before, and I apologize, but there might be one person that hasn't heard it, so I'll repeat it. But uh, as we were training in the RTD, uh, of course, we're all sitting in the seats, you know, just kind of staring out of the window. Uh, I, got a, I got to talking with a young man next to me. And um, I was young then, too, by the way. Um, anyways, uh, so we're talking, and I found out that he believed that in order to be saved, you had to follow the, the, the commandments in the Old Testament. I said, oh, really? Uh, all of them? He says, yep, all of them. I said, Okay. Have you ever eaten an ossifrage or an osprey? And he looked at me and said, what? Well, it says that in Deuteronomy. You're not to eat an ossifrage or an osprey. He says, I don't even know what that is. I said, well, now do you understand? Do you understand that you cannot possibly find approval in God's sight by following his, there's the commandments? Because there, there are too many of them. And uh, so we had a really good discussion of that. And so... You can't earn your way through good works. And I, and I was talking to a lady on the way home from um, one of the, the New Year conferences back in Uplook, uh And we got into a discussion, and, and we, I, I asked her, I said, well, what does your church teach that uh, how you get to heaven? And she says, well, you, what goes around comes around, you know, if, you, if you're a good person like that sort of thing. And I said, okay, well, that's good. Uh, 
how good do you have to be? Do you have to be 50% good? How about 60%? And she, and it was just, she was kind of, she was kind of laughing. She says, well, I don't really know. I said, well, I know. The Bible says you have to be 100% perfect. She says, well, that's impossible. I said, yes, you're right. It is impossible. You can't be perfect. So what you have to have is someone else give you their perfectness. And then you can go to heaven. And I was able to share with this lady uh, what it meant to receive Christ as their Savior. That when you receive Christ as your Savior, you receive his perfectness. And so in the eyes of God, you're as perfect as his son. But it's not anything that you do. You know, it wounds our pride when we realize that we can't do anything to earn our salvation. Everybody just thinks, well, yeah, 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 but I, I still got to do something. Uh, I, uh, one quote that I got out of one of Bill McDonald's books uh, by an Archbishop Temple says, the only thing of my own which I contribute to my redemption is the sin from which I required to be redeemed. I'll say that again. The only thing of my own which I contribute to my redemption is the sin from which I require to be redeemed. Verse, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 12. Matthew 9 and 12. Verse, we'll start at verse 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. And so we find out that it's important for a person to realize that they are sick that they're in need before they can come to Christ. There's a story that Bill McDonald shares in one of his daily devotions, and I, I love this story. There was a, a city that decided to put on a, a party for the handicapped children in their town, in their city. And so they got the local civic center, and they rented it, and they uh, invited all the kids, all the kids that were lame, that were going through cancer treatments, that were blind, and all these kinds of things, and they were going to bring in and put on a big party for these little kids. And um, so they were just, you could hear the screams from the street. They were having so much fun. And uh, a patrol car came up, and uh, he saw a little boy sitting on the steps outside the Civic Center with his head in his hands, just crying uncontrollably. And so the patrolman gets out and he says to the little boy, he says, he says, what's the matter? Why are you crying? He says, they won't let me in. What do you mean? Well, they won't let me into the party. And the patrolman says, well, why not? He says, because there's nothing wrong with me. You know? Why is it that people are not going to get into heaven? Because they don't think there's anything wrong with them. So a person that does not admit that they're a sinner, cannot enter heaven. 
It's only for sinners that have repented. And so, Romans chapter 5. Let's take a look at that. Romans chapter 5. And verse 6. This is all a familiar verse, but it's such a precious verse. It says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for what? The good people? He only died for the ungodly. So if a person says, I'm a really good person, they say, oh, I'm sorry. You, obviously, God did, or Christ did not die for you. Because it says here, He only died for the ungodly. And that's important. Well, what are four reasons why you are a Christian? Now, we talked about the four reasons why I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian because my parents are Christians. I'm not a Christian because I claim to be a Christian. I'm not a Christian because I've been baptized. And I'm not a Christian because I've done good deeds. But there are four reasons why we are, that I am a Christian. Number one, you've got to come to the point in your life when you realize that you're a sinner. So Romans, just turn over a couple pages to Romans chapter 3. And again, this is a simple gospel message. And you say, well, Dave, why are you preaching it to everybody here is a Christian? Um, the only one that I'm totally convinced it's a Christian in this room is me. Sorry. I mean, you guys all look like Christians. I mean, you smell like Christians. You walk like Christians. You, I mean, you, you all look like Christians, but the only one that I know is a Christian is me. Because I can remember when I was seven years old, it was a Friday night, and I just left this room. We had a young people's meeting, kind of like the Awana program. And I got home, seven years old, and I knew, God had spoke to my heart, and I knew that I was not saved. I, my parents were saved, and I knew that if I were to die, I would never see him again. And God worked on my little heart, and, and I wanted to be saved more than anything else. And I called my mom in, and she came in, and she sat on my bed, and we both looked through scriptures. And the best I knew how, as a seven-year-old could know, I said, Lord Jesus, I want you more than anything else. Nothing else matters. I want you to be my savior. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I want to be with my parents. And he saved me that night. What month it was, I don't know. Okay? The year, it was 1959. <laughs> but that's about it. That's all I know. And I'll tell you, it was that moment that I was born again. It was an actual time in history, in my history, that I actually was born into God's family. Now, back in 1986, March 25th, I, we came down and uh, Margie was going to have our first child. And we were at Kaiser and Fontana. And she went through 18 hours of torture. And then she still had to have a C-section after all that. <laughs> I mean... Being in those birthing stations was just, I mean, her was groaning and it just, I felt like it was, ew, like, you know, you know, it was really hard on me. Um, and so, but 
<clears throat> but I came into the, the room where the, the doctors were, and uh, they operated on Margie, C-section, and I looked up at the clock, 2.35, Tuesday afternoon. That's when David was born. That's when he was born. There was an actual time that he was born. And it's the same thing for you when you became a Christian. There was an exact time. And praise the Lord if you know when that time is. I knew kind of when it was. And I've got the dates and the times written in my Bible of all three of my kids that have come to the Lord. And I hope you do too. And so as we read in here as we're closing... Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. First step in becoming a Christian, you got to realize that you're a sinner, that you're a guilty sinner before God. The heart, in Jeremiah 17, 9, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I talked to a man one time. I worked at a, uh, when I just got out of high school, I worked for three months at a machine shop. And um, there was this one guy in the machine shop. He was an Italian guy. He was really a character. His name was Vince. And uh, very, very Italian, as Italian as you can get. And he loved to make fun of Christians. And there was another, uh, Joe Gibson uh, was there too. So he loved to make fun of Joe and I. In fact, at the very beginning, uh, at the beginning of the day, uh, when we walk in, he would he would go dancing around the shop, around the, the machine shop, waving his arms, going, "Bringing in the sheaves, bring." I mean, he would just lead the whole the whole group, and and because uh, here come the Christians, and I didn't mind. I mean, it's probably the only excitement he gets in his life, so you know what? If, if it makes him feel good or whatever, um, but anyway, so I was sitting at a machine uh, drill press. Uh, you know, this particular job was extremely challenging mentally for me for 10 hours I just deburred one part I mean I just I, I decided that uh, I wasn't going to do that the rest of my life but I was deburring the parts and I was right next to Vince and he was de- doing some other thing on a, on and we got talking and uh, he said um, I just don't believe this thing that you're telling me about that we're born sinners he says I just don't believe it I said Vince you have two daughters don't you he says yep did you ever have to teach them to disobey you did you have to teach him that, or did they do that all on their own? And he didn't say a thing, which is pretty big for Vince, because he always had something to say. And he just sat there, and all of a sudden he started shaking. I mean, physically shaking. And he says, look what you did to me. Look what you did to me. <laughs> I said, Vince, I just, asked, you know, I just asked you a question. But see, God was speaking to his heart. He realized that that's true. We're all born sinners. And because we're born sinners, we need a Savior. Then, number two, you need to repent. The Bible says in in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. See, a lot of people get saved or think, excuse me, I want to retract that. A lot of people think they're saved, but they never repented. They never admitted to God that they're wrong. They're wrong about three things. They're wrong about God, about sin, and about themselves. They're wrong about God because they think that God can just kind of let sin into his heaven. No, he can't. He can't do that. 
Number two, about sin. Well, sin's not really that bad. Yes, it is. It's so bad that one sin completely destroyed the universe. One sin. So you've got one sin that can completely destroy the universe, and you think a bunch of good works are going to counterbalance that? Uh Uh-uh. It's not going to work. And then about yourself, that you're the sinner that Christ died for. Number three, acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ shed his perfect blood on the cross when he died as my substitute and three days later rose from the grave. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You must realize that. And then some people say, well, that's it. As soon as you realize all that, that you're, um, uh, that you're a sinner, that uh, you, know, you need to repent, and that Christ died on the cross and shed his blood, you're automatically a Christian. No. It's not what the Bible says. John 1.12. But as many as receive him. A gift is not a gift unless it's received. Otherwise, it's just, it's there. It's not even a gift. A gift is only a gift when it's received. And so you need to receive Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. And I can't, I we're running out of time, but in Habakkuk 1.13, it says, Habakkuk says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. You can't. He can't allow one sin into heaven. And in, in Revelation twenty one twenty seven, he will not let anything into his heaven that will defile. Not one sin. And I want to close with this verse. It was my dad's verse, the verse that, that led my dad to the Lord. Let's take a look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 37. John chapter 6 and verse 37 and says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. My dad was a teenager. That verse that was shared with him by Henry Peterson changed his life. And he received Christ as his Savior. And I don't know your situation this morning. Like I said, you all look like you're saved. But only you know in your heart was there a time when I admitted to God that I'm a sinner, that I repent of my sin, and that I receive Christ as my Savior. If you haven't done that, Don't leave this room unless you've done that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would just ask in a simple way, Father, that you would, through your Spirit, speak to each one of our hearts. Father, those of us that are saved, that we realize the importance of praying for those who are not saved. And Father, there might be someone here this morning, and you know each heart perfectly this morning, Father. You know if they are your own. And I pray, Father, that no one in this room will ever hear those horrible words, depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, Father, there might be people that are playing the Christian game, and yet they look at their lives, and they know deep down in their hearts there was never a change. There was never a change. And yet, Father, I pray that your spirit, even right now, will work into each one heart 
and that those who have never received Christ as their Savior will do so before it's eternally too late. Oh, Father, I pray that you would bless your precious word to each one of our hearts and take us home in safety in your son's worthy and precious name. Amen.